in the morning. When you want the news, you need the front page every hour on the press box. Nothing's writing on this except the uh, First Amendment, the Constitution, freedom of the press, and maybe the future of the country. Not that any of that matters. And now, the news. Jerry Jones said it was in poor taste to cuss out Robert Kraft. He said, you express yourself with people you know and people you're around a lot in different ways. I would say that in this particular case, it's probably accurate that I did express myself in probably a way that's not in good taste. Jerry Jones reportedly told Robert Kraft, don't bleep with me right before or after they voted on whether or not to uh, open negotiations for Roger Goodell getting a new contract. And Jerry Jones effectively admitted that by saying, ah, this improper way. Is this Jerry evolving? Thinking about it in the shower? I guess. He's like, oh, I shouldn't have cussed out Shouldn't have cussed out Bobby. Yeah. And then been the only guy to vote against Roger Goodell's new contract (laughs) getting negotiated. He's like, yikes, I don't look very good here. He actually actually did kind of back off Tom Brady did not deflate those footballs. (laughs) And like you said the other day, he said that to Kraft. Did he say it to every owner? Because he was the only one who like, why it's, did he pick out Bob Kraft? We still have not figured that out yet because, like we talked about, if this had been a close vote on yeah, negotiating. Like exactly. Half, you know, one one on the other side. Right. It was Bob Kraft who did the deciding vote. Right. Or he swayed a couple owners to vote with right. him. Then maybe you could understand. Custody. Jerry being pissed. <laughs> maybe. But when it's 31 to 1 and Jerry yeah. Jones is the only one, what are you doing yelling at Robert Kraft? There's no way Robert Kraft convinced 30. <laughs> Like 30 owners all listen to Robert Kraft. And I still love the uh, the ESPN reporting on Robert Kraft. His response was, what? Yeah. <laughs> what? You're doing what, Jerry? Why are you cussing at me? <laughs> Why don't you cuss that guy out over there? Where's Dan Snyder? Why don't you cuss him out? Yeah. It's like, what did I do to you? I have no idea. So, yeah. But Jerry Jones might have actually... It's not really an apology, but he, he did not... Uh, he kind of... St- Took a step away and said, oh, might have messed up a little bit there. I would have loved to have seen Jerry Jones be like, no, he shouldn't F with me. Yeah, exactly. That, that would have been great if he had said that. And then we still would have been confused as to why he was, why he was saying Robert that. Uh, you know, I can't tell you that. Adam Schefter reported that the Panthers turned down two first round picks for Brian Burns. Uh, so Brian Burns, he's 24 years old. He's an edge rusher. He had his fifth year option picked up for next season by the Panthers. Uh, they Somebody, if it's not the Panthers, but somebody will probably end up giving him an extension before he plays on that fifth-year option. But Burns, uh, his sack total so far this season, or so far through four seasons, seven and a half in his rookie year, then nine, then nine, and he already has four this season. Uh, PFF has him as a top 35 edge rusher. Got offered two first-round picks. The Panthers are not... Uh, winning anything this season. They already traded away Christian McCaffrey. Should they have taken two first-round picks for Brian Burns? Yeah, I think they should. First Two first-round picks? Two first-round picks is what the report was. They turned down two first-rounders. But I think if we've learned anything is if you are tanking, you have you build a good defense, and then you bring in the Tyler, bring in the quarterback for pennies on the dollar. So if this guy's good and he's going to get better, he's only 24 this is the guy that could be your like keystone to win the win the tanking stops. So young edge rusher that gets a lot of sacks is the exact player you want, right? It's Max. Two first Cro- round picks. It's Max Crosby. The problem for the Panthers, though. I mean, if he's twenty eight, yeah, pull the trigger. 
The problem for the Panthers is because this is the fourth year of his rookie contract, if they're not going to take two first-round picks for him, which they're apparently not, they're going to have to pay him a lot of money. He's going to get a massive contract after this rookie deal, and that takes away from his value, right? That takes away from how how valuable he is as an edge rusher because on his rookie contract, I don't know what he's making, but it's probably less than $10 million right now. Yes. He's an unbelievable value. If they give him a new contract and he's making twenty plus 50, million dollars a year, fifty-six guaranteed, right, like max. Then now he's got to stay at this level just to provide you, uh, just to get you to break even, right. on the contract. If he takes any, if he has any decline, you you're losing you're, value yeah. on that. If the Panthers were competitive at all, or to, trying to be competitive, then you absolutely keep Brian Burns. But I think because. They fired their head coach. They traded away Christian McCaffrey. I can't understand the logic of not taking two first-round picks for Brian Burns. I think that, that to me, that should be a no-brainer for a team that is trying to rebuild at the moment. You take the two first-round picks rather than pay the guy. If he was on his first year of his rookie deal, so that's one thing. then all right, you're keeping him for two or three right. years because he's really cheap. But when he's basically done with it and he's going to be making a ton of money... First round picks got to be more valuable for a franchise where the Panthers are right now. Two of them. Yeah. Yeah. And again, it's not one. The Even if it's like the Eagles offered it or something or the Chiefs and you were like, ah, they're yeah, going to be picking 29, 30. It's still more valuable than I think what they're going to get from Brian Burns for where they are as a franchise right now. You know, he kept squirting through there and LSU beat Ole Miss 45 to 20. Ole Miss led that game 17 to 3. And then LSU went on a 42-3 to run. Ah, those, those runs kind of hurt you. So, they're not good. <laughs> oh, yeah. They're not good. That's not good. So, here's what's set up in the SEC. Uh, on the East, it's almost likely to be Tennessee and Georgia. They're not going to lose to anybody but when they play each other. And the winner of Tennessee-Georgia is going to go to the SEC title game. In the West, LSU is 4-1. Right, they're leading the SEC West, tied with Alabama. Um, Ole Miss is three and one. LSU plays Alabama next. The winner will be leading the SEC West. Alabama then has to play Ole Miss right after LSU. So if Alabama wins, beats LSU, beats Ole Miss, they do have to play Auburn at the end, but they'll handle them. If they beat LSU and beat Ole Miss, Alabama is going to be in the SEC championship game. If they lose one of those, though. We could be set up for LSU or Ole Miss playing in the SEC title game and neither one having a really good claim to being in the college football playoff playoff. because for LSU, they have already got two losses, right? right? Now, granted, if they were to get beat out, if they were to beat Alabama and then get Georgia and beat Georgia, they're probably in with two losses. Ole Miss has one against LSU. If they beat Alabama and then beat Georgia too, maybe they've got a shot or a good case to get in as well, but it could... I still expect Alabama to roll through both of them and go to the SEC championship game, but there is three teams here in the mix that if one of them can upset Alabama, then there's a real they chance get, that Alabama's not in the title game. They get Ole Miss after their bye? It's a bye week, LSU, Ole Miss. Oh, back-to-back then? Yes. And I believe they're going to LSU. Yes, So that, that could be... We'll see how tough it's that dicey. is. If they go on a 42-3 to run, LSU will probably win right. that game too. <laughs> probably. <laughs> not 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 for sure though. No, not for sure. Do you want to go? Or? Oh, you can go. I don't want to. Okay. Oklahoma State beat Texas forty-one to thirty-four on Saturday, which means 
that the uh, Oklahoma State has one loss. Texas now has two losses. And TCU is still the only unbeaten team in the Big 12. Man. They beat Kansas State. That conference, are they getting a playoff team? I got asked this by the Sun, who's at TCU now, if they go undefeated. And I said, yes. A Big 12, a Big 12 undefeated team with a Big 12 championship? You have to put them in, wouldn't you? Mm. So Ohio State exists. Someone from the SEC exists. Clemson exists. Two, two, two teams from the Wait. SEC. Yeah. Clemson yeah. and Ohio State exist as current unbeaten teams that are probably going unbeaten and winning their conference championship. Plus okay. an SEC champion. And like Jared said, two SEC teams. Over because a Big 12 champion undefeated and a Big 12 champion? So yes. if I give you this scenario. It depends on the teams. I give you this scenario. Georgia goes undefeated to the SEC title game. Alabama wins the rest of the games we just talked about. And Alabama beats and Georgia. And Alabama beats Georgia. And now you have Alabama, one loss, SEC champion. Georgia, one loss, non-SEC champion. Got to put them both in. I think they're taking Georgia. Because here's the other thing. Uh, we haven't seen the college football playoff poll yet. No, haven't, we haven't seen the first yeah. poll yet. But I'm guessing Georgia's number one. And Agreed. if Georgia wins every game, Georgia's going to stay number one. Agreed. And then if they lose to Alabama, who at that point, whatever, would be five or six or something, are they dropping Georgia out of the four spot? And you don't think they care about the – well, we've mm. known in the past that they don't care about the grief <laughs> that day. <laughs> but the impending grief about an undefeated Big 12 team. Here's the other part. The Pac-12, they yeah. don't have any undefeated no. teams. No. But USC, Oregon, Utah, and UCLA all have one loss. Um, and they don't really, there's only two matchups between those teams. USC will play UCLA and Oregon plays Utah. So there's a legitimate chance that we get two of those teams with one loss Going playing the championship. in the Pac 12 championship and then getting another quality win, whoever wins that game. So let, you know, let's say it's just Utah or whatever. If Utah has one loss and wins the Pac 12 championship, it's not as good as an undefeated TCU because obviously the zero versus the one there, but that's another potential power five champion with one or zero losses and we and it would be a genuine conversation about a second sec team getting it so over them. you would say that it would be two sec teams and tcu and utah in a new year six bowl most likely now here's the thing college football generally we we sit here in late october and we're like oh there's a chance for there to be two or three teams really get snubbed and then TCU will end up with two losses and there won't be a single right, Pac-12 team. Exactly. With, right. So normally this stuff works itself out and there's not at that, oh my God, the fifth and sixth place teams got screwed, right? But there is some possibility for it. And I do believe if it's Alabama, Georgia in the SEC title game and Alabama gives Georgia their first loss, I think, think they both are again, both yeah. going. The, the fascinating part would be a two loss Alabama, Ole Miss or LSU beating Georgia in the SEC title game. That would be fascinating. So then you'd have two losses against an undefeated TCU team. Right. That would be fascinating because the committee zero always... Zero and two? I can't believe they The committee always walks zero. around saying conference championships are important. And so... Well, like, TCU would have won the Big 12 championship. Right. But I'm talking about not, not the Ole Miss, LSU, Alabama side with two losses. What are you doing with one loss, Georgia? If they're number one in the country and, and they, they don't lose the SEC the title game, are they really falling out of the top four? And you're putting a two-loss Alabama in before oh, an undefeated in. Yeah, TCU. Yeah, yeah. yeah, two-loss with the with the SEC. Oh, yeah, they're in. 
Alabama with two losses and oh yeah, they're in. How do we get three SEC? You need a lot of losses. Yeah, you need you need Ohio Ohio State State to lose to Michigan. Oh no, no, you get you get Ohio State in, but because it's four, right? So you four, yeah. So you put one of those weird teams. So Ohio State wins out. Clemson will probably lose to somebody. Uh, They're having a lot of close games. They'll probably lose to somebody, and then you TCU needs to lose once and. Somebody in the Pac-12 will probably lose twice. And then, so you would get, let's see, Georgia would have to go to the title game, but lose. Okay, I got it. I got it. (laughs) Georgia beats Tennessee. Tennessee doesn't lose any of their games. So they're a one-loss team. Georgia loses in the SEC title game to one-loss Alabama. And then you have 12-1 Alabama, 12-1 Georgia, 11-1 Tennessee. And then Ohio State and TCU still doesn't get it. Yeah, all in the playoff. (sighs) <sighs> that's that's how it happens. That's what happens there. It's it's a done deal. Satisfied with the effort? It's Miles Turner. Oh, I right. always talk what are over we this. About here, guys? Let me play it again. Yeah. Satisfied with the effort? We just got smashed. Like, what are we talking about here, guys? Because he has such a long pause after. Well, because he's like, the effort. <laughs> he's looking at him like. Too. It's great sound. Uh, Miles Turner is going to miss at least one week. This is a follow up to the fun story where. Uh, the Pacers forward rolled his ankle in pregame warmups by landing on a ball boy and missed the season opener, and he's going to miss at least a week for the Pacers. Yeah. It's one of the funniest stories. What's the ball boy doing out there that far? <laughs> I don't, I haven't seen underneath the basket and not out where these guys are running in for layups. I haven't seen the video of it. I don't know if it exists or not, but I, I am curious as to, like, Where's the ball boy? Right. Like, was this was Miles Turner going up for a layup and the ball boy was just too close under too the basket? Close, yeah. Or was this like some freak thing where Miles Turner was doing Dribbling like some... and so, he didn't see the kid? Right. Or doing some weird jumping exercise and the kid just... I don't know. Like, I'm curious. I assume it's like he was going in for a layup and landed on him. But I hope it's something weird where it's like, ah, he was jumping to wave to somebody in the crowd and the ball boy <laughs> snuck up on him and he rolled his ankle. Miles Turner is out for one week. The ball boy is dead. <laughs> That's right. We haven't heard about the we ball boy. Heard, we haven't heard what happened to that guy. An enormous foot. man landed on him. How's his foot? Is it okay? All right. Coming up next, the Golden Knights as they lost to the Avalanche over the weekend, but play Toronto tonight. Still 2-1 to Colorado. Looking for more. They get it. Score inside the left post. Val Nichushkin makes it 3-1 to Avalanche. His sixth goal of the season. We're back to the Press Box Morning Show with Ed Greeny and Tyler Bischoff. Golden Knights play Toronto tonight. They lost to the Colorado Avalanche over the weekend 3-2, and they are 4-2-0 with the only two losses coming to the two best teams they have played, Calgary and Colorado. Um, So here's the interesting part about the loss to Colorado. Golden Knights um, were probably better than Colorado in the second half of that game. Colorado was better in the first period. But the second half of that game, the Golden Knights were better. Colorado took more shots overall, but the Golden Knights had a 63% expected goals because the Avalanche or the Golden Knights were getting better chances. Um, you believe in moral victories early in the season? I'll tell you one thing. There's no way that Cassidy kid did. <laughs> Bruce Cassidy's not happy. No, I don't victories. think that kid's happy with any loss. Because... Again, it's we are six games into the season, but legitimate questions about how good this team is. Are they a cup contender? Whatever. We saw them play Calgary, and Calgary steamrolled them, right? Close game on the scoreboard. Calgary was much better. They won four games against sort of the bad teams on the schedule. Played, yeah. 
They play Colorado. They play them tight. They still lose the game, but they play them tight, and they actually look like the better team for big portions of that game. Is that a fair takeaway, that it is a moral victory or whatever, that Colorado was on a second of a back-to-back? Colorado just lost to Seattle the night before. Like, I think that makes it worse. It, do, it does make it worse for the Golden Knights, absolutely. Yeah. So, like, does it just sort of, hey, this is just a game in the schedule? I just haven't seen much. six games and saying they're a Stanley Cup contender. I think they're a playoff team. I do, too. I think there's there's little doubt that they're going to be a playoff team. The most interesting part, I think, of that game, though, is not about the actual result, but the way Bruce Cassidy changed his lines. So, third period, Bruce Cassidy went to a top six that looked like this. Chandler Stevenson, Jack Eichel, and Mark Stone. And then the Misfit line. And the Misfits came back. Jonathan Marshall, William Carlson, and Riley Smith played together. And here's when Eichel and Stone played together, by the way, they played for three minutes and 55 seconds. They did score a goal in that game. They did not allow a single shot against, not even a shot that missed the net. No shots against the in three Golden fit, Knights. Almost four minutes. When those two were on the ice together. That's so pretty impressive. Here's, here's the curious part for me. That is the first time we've seen Bruce Cassidy load up his top two lines. He's done. He's sort of spread the talent through the first three lines where you have a William Carlson as the third line, third center, line center, right? right? You move, you know, a good winger down there. Right. That's the first time we've seen him load up. And I'm curious. Well, we'll, we'll do this with the regular season. How often do you think he does that in the regular season? I mean, I guess it depends on how long it's working. I do like that number that you threw out there about Eichel and Stone together. Uh, for almost four minutes, not even allowing a shot. Um, I think one of the keys here is what you asked Ben Goats about Phil Kessel. Like, he le- they're going to let him break the record, as you should. I mean, there's no God, it'd be funny if he got healthy scratch tonight. They're not going to do that to him. <laughs> but Phil Kessel hasn't done much at all. Yeah. And I could see him on the third line. I don't think he's a fourth liner. Well, here's the problem with either one of those lines. The way Bruce Cassidy has talked about his third and fourth line he wants them to play defensive shifts against the best lines the other team has. Now, obviously, they're not going to do that every single time they're out there, but he wants to know that he can put That's his why he third... starts the fourth line against right, McKinnon. That he can put his third or fourth line out there and play a shift against Nathan McKinnon, against Connor McDavid, and it's not going to cost them the game. That's what he wants to be able to do because he wants to know those two lines are good enough and sound enough defensively that they're not going to get caved in by Nathan McKinnon. They might not create a single shot when they're on the ice against the top lines, but that's not what he wants them to do. He wants them to not give up a good scoring chance. That's, what, that Phil, Phil that's what Phil Kessel's bad at. Like that's, that's say, what, what he's that bad Phil at. Kessel? That's not Phil Kessel. Right. And if you are going to assign a third line, a fourth line to, Hey, we need you to go eat minutes against their best line. And Hey, it'll give our, it'll give Jack Eichel a better matchup. And it'll keep Jack Eichel from having to play so many shifts against Nathan McKinnon or whatever. Phil Kessel doesn't fit that. Phil Kessel is not that type of player. If Phil Kessel's going to fit on this team, he's got to do it on the first or second line. He's got to do it. Yeah, he's got to do it with Eichel. He's got to do it with uh, Stone or something like that. He's got to do it on one of the top two lines because he's out here to score. He's out here to score goals. He's out here to help produce goals. And that's not the role of a third and fourth line. So that's why I asked Ben, what is his role? Like what? What does Phil Kessel's role look like on this team? Because if he's not good enough to be in the top six, if he he still doesn't have, he's got what, one assist on the year? Right. Like if he's not good enough to help produce goals this season, 
you can't play him on the top six. You can't play him with Jack Eichel because you're you're ruining what Jack Eichel's supposed to be. And if he can't do that, he, he can't play him on the third and fourth line. That doesn't make any sense. So what's his role on this team? I think there's a real chance that he's going to be healthy scratched at points during this season because what good what good does he do this team? That's a great point. I mean, he hasn't done anything yet. Um, what do you have down the worst expected goal of any forward yeah. this season? Yeah. And against not, Colorado, he, he had the worst too in that specific uh, uh, game. The worst on the team. Yeah. Like he's he and he's he's already not playing a lot of five on five minutes. They're putting him out there for the power play, obviously. But he's already playing like I think it's second fewest five on five minutes among forwards for the Golden Knights so far this year. Like he's already not playing uh a lot of minutes at five on five. And you don't in hockey, it's not like you have room for a guy who who plays three minutes of five on five, but oh, he's good on the power play, right? right. It doesn't, that's not a thing. Like you've got to have your, especially in the regular season, you've got to have four lines that are actually playing. And so I just don't know what his role is. And to go back to the question about what does Cassidy do with his lines? I think he's forced into keeping Phil Kessel on one of the top two lines and keeping the talent spread out some more. Where this will be interesting is you'll see it in situations like that. Hey, you're playing Colorado and you're losing by a goal in the third period. Let's load up the top two lines and get them on the ice as much as possible. But the playoffs, I think that assuming well, they you make have it, to win, right? Phil Kessel's probably not in the lineup. Would be my guess. And Bruce Cassidy's probably going. Well, not to, if it continues like this the rest right. of the year. Like what we've seen so far, Phil Kessel can't be on right. the playoff lineup because I would guess when they get to the postseason, you're much more likely to see. Bruce Cassidy load up his top two lines, put the misfits back together. Eichel stone and Stevenson together. Those are your top two lines have try to have two dominant top two lines. And if you have that, then where does Phil Kessel fit? And he doesn't, he does not fit. So I would guess if they were, if they were playing a playoff game tonight, Phil Kessel would be out of the lineup and those top two lines would be the lines that they'd be rolling with. I mean, Everything you say makes sense. I just I think they're going to give Phil Kessel as much rope as they can. Yeah, and I will I say think they're going to give him as much rope as they can for him to turn it around. On Friday, we talked about Phil Kessel with Adam Candy. He made a good point. If if that's your biggest concern, the Golden Knights are in great shape. Of all the oh, things, yeah. that, of all the things yeah. that could go wrong this year, goaltending, right? If we're if the biggest concern is where the hell does Phil Kessel fit, then that's probably good. a good problem yeah. to have. In the team's, team's in good. a good spot because the goaltending's been very good this year. Uh, they've they've scored a lot of goals too. They've scored been yes. scoring better than I definitely expect them to so far. So every not everything, but most things have been going pretty well for the Golden Knights. Um, did you see Logan Thompson? Do you think he was too hard on himself? Um, well, I mean, I think it's a good thing, right? Probably. I think it's a good thing that he, uh, you know, has played really well and still, you know, still takes shots at himself. He was not happy after the loss to Colorado with himself. Uh, he stopped 22 of 25 shots. If you went by expected goals, he gave up more than a goal. Uh, he, it was three goals allowed, and it was 1.72 expected goals for Colorado. I just saw that, and I thought, wow, Max Pacioretty's got to love Logan oh, yeah. Thompson. Because Logan Thompson didn't say, I'm going golfing right. tomorrow. He didn't. He's not golfing. He he's not golfing. So Max Pacioretty's got to be like, ready. oh, he's getting back that's what we needed this yeah. whole time was exactly. Logan Thompson. We here. didn't hear that from Flurry and Leonard. <laughs> All right, coming up next, Caleb Herring joins the show. Plus, not too long from now, we're going to give away tickets to go see the Golden Knights take on the Winnipeg Jets. Lines up on the left side of the line. Empty backfield for Bailey. Big play, fourth and two from the eight. There's the snap. Bailey, a quick drop, looking, looking, trying to scramble. He gets away from one man. He's still on his feet. Now he turns and gets to the six-yard line, and it looks like he's got the first. 
It's the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. We do not have Caleb Herring. Maybe we'll get a hold of him. You think he's still on the tarmac waiting to take off from Notre Dame? <laughs> Left behind. Yeah, that's right. Wait, where's Caleb? Yeah, don't have him. It hasn't picked up the phone. Jared said it's going straight to voicemail. So we'll see if we get a hold of Caleb Herring. Um, I did want to ask you this because we didn't get to it earlier in the show. Um, who do you think is to blame for UNLV having two punts blocked? Not only two punts blocked, blocked by the same guy. The kid who blocked him? Because <laughs> he's really good. I think he was preseason All-American. He had three sacks that in that game, too. Yeah. I think, um, he's, I think he's really good, and he's probably the one to blame. So here's the interesting part. They Notre Dame ran essentially the same type of punt block play just from the opposite side to get mm-hmm. both of those punt blocks. He came sort of from the outside and looped in to come right up the middle. And I don't know exactly whose responsibility is because the long snapper doesn't touch him either time, despite him running right past the long snapper. And then I would guess the little, the three personal protectors, the guys that stand behind the right. line of scrimmage that uh, in, the butter in front of the punter, I would guess it's on them. Because they should be the ones that oh that touch him at least. There's a free rusher coming at our punter, right. but nobody touched him twice. And you ever seen that? I haven't seen that. No. Very rarely do you see a guy come untouched up the middle on a punt block. That doesn't happen. I, I mean, and for you've it seen to happen, block, but two straight, no. Yeah, and for that to happen, so I, normally punts get blocked because a guy breaks through the offensive line and the personal protectors don't do a good enough job of actually hitting him. Right. Right. This was untouched through the offensive line. The personal protectors didn't didn't even know he existed. And then they did it on the very next punt, too. And then I want to say the punt after that, they got called for illegal formation. I don't remember having too that. many having too many people in the backfield. Well, they loaded up. They I, I know, but I'm pretty sure <laughs> I'm pretty sure that there was a penalty for they, there were too many people in the backfield going, we're not getting this blocked. It happens. Don't let, don't let it happen. Now, so, has this changed your mind, 126 to 35 over the last three games on the uh, combined score on the margin? Uh, has this changed your mind that they're going to win six and go to a bowl? When does Doug Brumfield play? Well, that's the exact. That's that's it. If, if Doug he, Brumfield, if, if you told the me, last four games, if he, if you told me he plays the last four games, then I think they're going to they're bowl. going to a bowl game. Right. If you told me he doesn't play a single game the rest of the year, no. they're not winning another no. game. Not even San Diego State, not even Hawaii. Fresno State or Hawaii or Nevada. They're not winning another one Ooh, if Reno's Cameron pretty Friel, bad. They are, but they're not winning another one if Cam Friel and Doug Brumfield are the are the quarterbacks of this team. Brumfield's incredible. He's a he's an excellent quarterback. And I would I would give you another question that I need answered. Is Brumfield coming back at 100%? Is he like back to who he was the first? Oh, I don't, back I don't, to who he was. Right, I don't mean so like sure. are, they, are they rushing him back too early? No, he'll, have, an, he'll have a bye right. week. That'll be like three straight weeks. Right. I'm saying like when he comes back, does he look like Doug Brumfield from the first four or five well, games? They better of the hope season? he does. Because if he does, they're going to bowl. They're going to go to bowl. Right. If he doesn't, if for whatever reason Doug Brumfield isn't as good as he was to start the year, they still might not go to a bowl right. game. They probably will because Nevada and Hawaii are. Bad really enough bad. that, you know, show up, have your quarterback not be atrocious and, you know, make two or three tackles in the entire game and you're probably going, you're probably winning it. But that's, that's the big question because the defense, I would say the defense was okay against Notre Dame. Like they had, they had, I mean, plenty they had of red so zone many stops. short fields. Right. Um, 
they did. I think they got worn down in the they second did. half and just kind of got run over. They did by Notre Dame. So it's not like they had a great performance, but I think the forty plus points is that's more about having two punts blocked. And yeah, exactly. Short <laughs> fields all over the place, but they held them to on three occasions. They held them to field goals. And you're right. In the fourth quarter, Notre Dame just lined up and said, "Okay, you can't stop us." Right. And they over the last two series, Notre Dame threw three passes. They were all shovel passes. I mean, they just ran them, you know, ran them to death. Seven drives for Notre Dame started in UNLV territory. Yeah, think about that. Seven. That's a crazy number. So it wasn't a bad performance from UNLV's defense, but it still wasn't good enough. Given that, given that San Jose State was terrible and that Air Force was terrible from the defensive perspective, it still wasn't a good enough performance that I walk away thinking, oh, the defense is fixed. The defense is good to go. No. And here's the thing about Doug Brumfield if he comes back. I don't care what anyone says. Yes, you've missed him, but 126 in the last three weeks. So you're going to tell Doug Brumfield if the defense doesn't get better, you got to score 40. Yeah, I, you know, I mean that's hard even for right. a guy like Doug Brumfield who's played really well. So right. they've got to get better defensively. I don't care if he's the quarterback or not. Right. So what that means for UNLV is for the last four games of the season, if Brumfield plays and the defense is marginally better than what we've seen the last three weeks. They're going to win at least two of those last four. Agree. If Brumfield plays and the defense is still as bad as it's been, they the could last be in trouble. Weeks, they could be in trouble. Right. You need, like you said, Brumfield's got to be. He's got to be what perfect. he was. Exactly. Like I mean, he's got to be really good to overcome that. No, they have to be better defensively. Yeah. So those are the two sort of big questions for UNLV the rest of the year. And when it comes to getting to a bowl game, that's what they need. And I think here's the other potential problem. We've been, you know, looking at how the schedule sets up. They've already got to four, and they've got two bad teams, Hawaii and Nevada. You can't love that those are the last two games of the year. because Well, not if they're four and six. Right. Like, if they lose to San Diego State and and Fresno State, and now you're four and six, even if, like, they'd walk into both, even if they were like, ah, they're nine-point favorites at Hawaii, and they're 14-point favorites against Nevada, right? Bad teams, UNLV's expected to beat them. Even then, it just doesn't feel like, oh, yeah, UNLV's got this. It's going to be like... Especially, again, I'll say this again, you and I have said this before, even if Brunfield's back, at Hawaii is never like you just don't walk in at Hawaii and say, well, we're going to win this easily. It's a weird place. It's a weird game all the time. The travel, everything that goes into playing at Hawaii is different. So I agree with you. If they're... If they would lose to San Diego State and Fresno State, and I with Brumfield, if Brumfield comes back the way he was, I don't think they lose to San Diego State. But if something happens there and they're four and six, that Hawaii game's dicey. Yeah. They don't have to, obviously, but I think to go to a bowl game, they 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 should win one of the next two. Like, because that gives you quite the bumper, quite the breathing room. If they can win one of the next yes. two and Reno, be- I watched San Diego State Reno the other day off off a tape and uh Reno's bad. <laughs> I mean, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna throw that out there. They're they, really hey, bad. If they can be five and five going into those last two, that gives you some margin for error. That allows you to hey, you went to Hawaii and you lost a weird game, right. or but you or, have Reno, right? Or you lost a rivalry game because that happens. I mean, UNLV's beat Nevada quite a few times when they were the worst team the of the worst two. of the two. So like, if they can win one of the next two and get to five before the Hawaii Nevada stretch. They'll be in great shape. Yeah. If not, if it's four and six, then you're looking around saying they'll probably do it, but they've got to be good two weeks in a row. And what's probably their two biggest rivalries, right? I mean, they play for a little pineapple with Hawaii. So, but their two biggest rivalries, and that's debatable if that's a good thing or not. Um, So you were there. 
moral victory for UNLV football? I don't think Marcus believes in those. I think not he's anymore. Bruce Cassidy. Oh. I don't think I don't know if he they believes in those anymore. They covered <laughs> they without cover. Doug Brookfield. They did cover. So um, how about their attitude? I didn't mind this attitude either. Is that you know what happened happened, but you know as one of the players said afterwards, everything's still in front of us, which is true. Uh, get back and only worry about the last four. I mean, I I I, I thought that was a good attitude to have. Look. We both agree. Even without, even with Brumfield, I don't think they win that game. I, I just don't think they win that game. They're getting, you know, now maybe right. now maybe they don't get two punts blocked because maybe they actually move the ball, <laughs> and you know they're not getting all these punts blocked and all this. They get craziness. the punts blocked just near midfield, not near okay. their own goal. But line. they're not in. Yeah, they're not. They're not putting their defense in. You know, at the fourteen and the thirteen every time. Um, so I thought I thought they had the right attitude afterwards. They do, and they do. They have. If if the goal was at the beginning of the season was to get to a bowl. Then it's it's there right. for them, and if they don't do it, then that's on them. Right. The consecutive losses hurts. It looks bad, but it's we talked about it at the beginning of the year and into the season. This was their tough stretch. Yes. Right. This was the San Jose State, Air Force, Notre Dame, San Diego State, Fresno State. Was that was the stretch? It's the five best teams on their schedule, all in a row. Right. And there was a legitimate chance they'd go and five. I mean, had they not started four and one, we would have looked at it. If they had started two and three, we'd have looked at it and said, oh, they're definitely losing all five of those. But because they got off to a good start, you look at it and said, all right, they could beat some of the season. And then Brumfield doesn't play, and it's just bad all the way around. Um, it's a it's an interesting team because it it would be it would be pretty bad if they don't get to six wins. Oh, even at this point with what's happened right. in the last three weeks. Yeah. Yes. Yes. You start four and one and you have two should be cupcakes yes. in the year. You need to get to six six, get to a bowl. And I think yes. they're getting do they get to seven? Yes, because I think they can beat San Diego State with Brumfield. Yeah. I think they get to, I think they might get to seven too. Yes. I think they probably beat San Diego State yeah, with, with Brumfield. With Brumfield. And then I don't think they beat him without him. But yeah. I also oh, yeah. think with a bye week he's playing. I do too. What's the final score of that game? Fourteen to thirteen? Oh, I think Brumfield will score. You think he'll score a little I bit think more? He'll score more than that. Twenty-one to thirteen. Twenty-one to thirteen. Okay. That's a good score right there. Oh, yeah. Who's playing quarterback for San Diego State? The center. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they have they have so many different guys now. What position? A couple did weeks they move ago, there? a couple weeks ago, I think that safety threw for three hundred yards. <laughs> All right, we got tickets to give away to go see the Golden Knights take on the Winnipeg Jets on Sunday, October thirtieth. Seven zero two three six four eleven hundred is. The phone number. If you want to go see the Golden Knights and Jets on Sunday, October 30th, call in now. 702-364-1100. We'll take caller number 9 at 702-364-1100. Here's the 3-1. Swing and a drive to left field. It's a rainbow. Deep Diddy. Diddy. Diddy ever. Jeremy Pena with a three-run jacket and we're tied. The pitch. And it's a chopper to the right side. That's a base hit. The Astros take the lead 4-3 to three on the chopper by Gurriel. It's a ground ball through the right side. That's a base hit. Altuve around third. He's going to score. It's a tie ball game. Alvarez comes through again. 2-2 two and two to Bregman. Here's the pitch. Swing and a drive to right center field. That's a base hit for Bregman. The Astros take a lead 6-5 to five on the bolt from Alex. We're back to the press box with Grady and Bischoff. We'll get more into the World Series in Bischoff's briefs next hour. Um, Ed, my our recently adopted bulldog, I get a picture almost every morning now of him attacking our pillows on our couch. He gets up on the couch. Yep. By himself. 
Uh, yes. Oh, boy, you're lucky. We have to lift ours up. And attacks the pillows. <laughs> why? I can't. We do not know why. He So here's, like, they. he just attacks him. Um, he once attacked, after I came to work in the morning, he once attacked my pillow in our bed and then peed on it. Upset you left. Establishing dominance. Like yes, fought, upset you left. Like, fought the pillow and then peed on it. And... He does this almost every morning now with the pillows on our couch. Doesn't pee on them, but attacks Tax them, them and then lays down on them. <laughs> <laughs> okay, are any are either you or your fiance like people who have to kind of like punch their pillow in order to get it like no. in a way that's comfortable? So he's not watching that. Okay, so it's not yeah, it's, he's not, it's not mimicking. It's not, yeah, mimicking behavior no. where he's like, oh, before I lay down, I gotta yeah, beat the crap this. out of this thing. He just attacks the pillows. He doesn't. He doesn't always sleep on them. He's sleeping on it right now. Apparently, but how yeah. much does he weigh? Uh, like 25, 30 pounds. Oh, and he can get up himself. Yeah, good for him. He's very athletic yeah, for a nine-year-old bulldog. Ours is thirty-three, and we're lifting that tub up every <laughs> every time he wants to get up and sit with one of us. Not ideal. Um, so that's what I get. Pictures every morning, and he's allowed to sleep on the bed. Of course. I, my uh, my fiance would be upset if he did not sleep. In the really? Bed. Oh, yeah. And the Shih Tzu as well. Uh, she's allowed to, but she likes to sleep at the end of the bed. And then when one of us moves our feet, she gets mad and tries to bite our feet. So she just <laughs> she does not actually sleep. <laughs> well, you had in the some bed. aggressive dogs at the house. Oh yeah, eating 100%. pillows, eating feet. Oh yeah, very aggressive. Um, but yeah, she she is allowed to, but she doesn't like to. She will once I leave, jump up and get in the bed. In the morning. Like, ooh, warm. Yeah. And she can get up by herself? Yeah. We have so. How old is she? How low is your furniture? 14. <laughs> well, we bought our couch. Are you in just like a tiny like living space? <laughs> we bought our couch this year. And part of the, when we were looking at couches, we were like, well, we want one that's pretty low that our dog can jump up onto. Our 14-year-old Shih Tzu can jump on the couch, but she has missed quite a few times in her life. <laughs> oh, man. So we pick her up about... Uh, I guess that's not right. funny. About 70% of the time. Right. She'll jump up there every now and then, but about 70% of the time she'll do it. Our bed, we actually have like this cushion thing next to our bed that they get on and then jump into the bed. Okay. All so right. it, it cuts the so distance it in cuts half the difference. or so. Okay. So yeah, but they uh, the Bulldog's like, for a nine-year-old Bulldog, he's pretty athletic. He does not like to walk, though. I should rephrase that. He likes to walk. He does not like to walk fast at right, all. When right. he goes on a walk, right. this, this dude is Stubborn. the slowest dog I've ever seen. Yes. Just barely picking his feet up off the ground. Yeah. It's crazy. Now, our 14-year-old Chitsu wants to run everywhere. Like, she's trying to run out of the neighborhood. So, very. we have to walk them, like, separately. Our bulldog will run uh, on grass that we have by the house, uh, a stretch of grass. He loves still to throw run. himself into it? Still runs. Still not sure if he can see, uh, but uh, and we have to give the treats for the run. But on a normal walk, like Bonnie wanted to walk him on a block last night, she leaves the door. I hear the door. I'm watching some on TV. I hear the door leave. Five minutes later, she comes in. He made it to the bottom of the driveway. He will not walk. He just sits. That's... He just sits, and That's he's a stubborn bulldog. bulldog. Yeah, he one just of, sits. One of the times we tried to walk him, he just sits. We walked out there, and he laid down at the end of our driveway. Yeah, won't and, move, and was like, "Yeah, this is a nice, it's a nice sunny day yeah. out. I'm going to stay right here." Exactly. <laughs> All right, I did want to get to this because it happened last week, and we are behind. UNLV basketball got two commitments last week. We talked about Robert Whaley, the junior college transfer coming in, but they also got one from a high school player in Brooklyn Hicks. 
Now, um, this is for the class of 2023. So this upcoming graduation for high school kids. He's six foot three. He's a three-star recruit, according to 24-7. However, 24-7 Sports does not have him in their top 250 players for the class of 2023. His final four, UNLV, Rice, Washington State, and Nevada. Um, did this jump out to you as another recruit that they probably could have waited yeah, on? It did, uh, as did the Juco kid. I yeah. mean, he's trying to get guys for 2023. I get that, but... And he's always going to be in the portal, which most everyone is. I think that's a good thing. But, it, and we're going strictly on rankings here. I don't know anything about either right. of these guys. Mm-hmm. I, they could be really good. Who knows? Right. But yeah, it just seems like we're talking about guys who maybe you could have waited on. This is Unless Kevin, they're better than we know. This is Kevin Kruger sort of betting on, hey, I'm better at identifying talent than other people. Right. And if he's right, it'll work out it'll well. It'll work out. If he's wrong, if everybody was right on these kids and it's a Juco guy and it's a three-star recruit, then we're going to look back and say, well, why'd you take those guys so early? You could have waited and gotten that. He did tell on three sports, I chose UNLV because of the overall early opportunity. The high school kid. Did Kevin Kruger promise that kid playing time? 